Hi, I'm Steven Schinder. And I'm Dan Schinder. Welcome to the Yes Shift podcast, where we talk about, wait, what do we talk about again? The band Yes. And there's so much to talk about with their many shifts in lineups and the mental, emotional, and spiritual shift their music can evoke. Since 1968, as of the inception of this podcast, May 2021, Yes has published a ton of studio albums, live albums, compilation albums, singles, and videos, all of which cover a very wide arcing spectrum of progressive rock. And we represent two generations of hardcore Yes fans. You may not agree with all of our tastes. Or any. The same way we don't always agree with a lot of the silly stuff so-called Yes fans post about on social. (laughs) And that's okay. With a history like Yes, having spanned so much music and time, there are always going to be different perspectives. And we are here to share ours, comment on things we see online, and invite you to be part of it as well. Yeah, we welcome your comments on posts of these episodes on social, as well as reviews on our podcasting platforms. You can also send comments and suggestions for topics to yesshiftpodcast at gmail.com. That's spelled with two S's, just like yes songs and yes shows. Hey, this episode is called The Keys to Yes. Why did we call it that again, Steve? Because we are talking about the keyboardists who have been with Yes in various parts of their history, and there are a lot of them. There are. Yeah, and I mean, you can't spell keys without the letters that spell Yes, funny enough. Okay. Oh, that added the missing letter. Yes. (laughs) So there's been like 32 keyboard players. We're going to go through all of them. Yeah. (laughs) Actually, what we're going to do is this. We're going to start by just running through the chronology real quickly of what members were in and out of yes, and in some cases, in and out and in and out. And and then we're going to talk about their contributions and whatnot. Um, One thing we want to make clear is you don't have to agree with our opinions. It's totally fine. And feel free to fact check us too. If, If you think we have something wrong, Go ahead and write us in. You know, let us know. So it's yes shift podcast at gmail.com. If you have questions, comments, ideas for episodes, Steve and I have a long list of ideas, but uh, we're always open to other fun stuff. So here we go. Starting in 1968, Tony K through 1971, then a flash in the pan keyboard player named Rick Wakeman until about uh, 74 and a half, it looks like. And then, of course, Patrick Moraz, the one album wonder. And then in 1977, who comes back? Rick Wakeman, his first return. But then yeah. things, things really changed, right, Steve? Uh, 1980 saw a new lead singer for the first time, but Jeff Downs on keyboards. And then uh, there was a little bit of break in the band. Steve, why don't you take it from there? Uh, yeah, but just to correct you real quick, uh, Rick came back like latter part of 76. because Ah, that's right. One, yeah. Before they actually recorded. Yep. Right. But um, yeah, so after Jeff Downs. Fucker's um, correcting me already. Oh, go on. <laughs> 
Yeah, so um, after Yes broke up very briefly in 81, and then they came back in 83 with Tony K and that band called Cinema, which eventually became Yes. Um, with the and, addition of their new singer. Yeah, the, this little known person named John Anderson. Like, I don't know if he'd done anything before that, but yeah. Uh, so <laughs> they record 90125, and then a weird thing happens. Uh, Tony K ends up leaving for a bit. And so they bring in Eddie Jobson. Um, I don't know how much he did with them. Like, maybe he only rehearsed and then. He was supposed to be in the Ownerful Only Heart music video, but you don't really see his face in it. And then Yeah, he's in there, but by the time the video came out, he was out and Tony was back in. Uh, so they edited it so that you can't really see his face except for, I think, in right. one shot. But what's curious is that on the Wikipedia timeline, Eddie's in there for like, looks like a three-week little purple sliver and yeah. I, I don't remember ever hearing that he ever made any official recorded contributions. So I don't know why he's there. Steve, did you ever read or hear about that? I know there was a forum on this website called Yes Fans where Eddie Jobson himself chimed in. And uh, I vaguely remember he said he felt like he didn't really fit in with some of the guys in the band. And when he really decided to quit was when he got the call saying we're, we're going to try to get Tony K back in the band so that we have at least three founding members in the band. I don't remember if it was a legal thing or what, but at that point, Eddie just didn't see what the point was. So he decided to leave and they have Tony again um, on the tour, like the 9012 live era, they had Casey Young under the stage adding some stuff which and was so, weird. Yeah. That's just so weird to me. Yeah. And I mean, Trevor Rabin has also played keys on some of these albums as well, but Tony is with them um, until 95. But of course, during that period, like, ha like somewhat halfway through or two thirds, and I don't know the math, but you have ABWH, of course, and uh, that became the catalyst for Union. And so uh, because of that, Rick Wakeman technically returned to Yes. And of course, you have like a couple ABWH keyboardists, but also a bunch of other keyboardists on Union, which would be too long to list. And yeah, that's a yes. whole other episode if we even decide to stir that bucket <laughs> yeah, that's, of mud that's like a hundred episodes right there but uh yeah so rick's rick and tony playing together on the union tour from uh 91 to 92 some of union had been recorded in 90 and then after that tour uh steve howe and bill bruford leave but rick wakeman is still in contact with the band and there's this idea to like have like a six member group with like both him and Tony K, but due to scheduling conflicts, he wasn't able to participate on the talk album. So it was that uh, Yes West lineup that had just Tony K on it. But of course, Trevor played a lot of keyboards as well. And so you have that going on until 95. Tony leaves, Rick comes back for the Keys to Ascension stuff. And then 1997, he's very unhappy with the way, like, yes, and their management are handling things behind the scenes. And, like, 
a conflicting tour dates with his soul stuff and yes stuff and he's like okay i'm out again again and, yeah <laughs> <laughs> and um Billy Sherwood comes in to save the day because he didn't want to see his favorite band break up. So he and Chris write some stuff. They make Open Your Eyes, which has, I think Billy plays some keys on that. They also have Steve Perkara, but also they meet Igor Koroshev. Um, and he's their keyboardist from 97 to 2000. But of course, you know, his backstage antics got him kicked out and the weird thing that happens next is yes do an album with an orchestra called magnification like they're no keyboardists like you have alan playing p a bit of piano like here and there but it's pretty much like almost bereft of keys and so you have yeah. orchestra filling that and I, which i want to i want to chime in on that because keys have been such a benchmark part of the yes sound in every iteration of the band except for magnification of course so it's almost like saying we're not going to have guitar or we're not going to have a bass it's that off the wall and instead we're going to have six flute players one free string instead of a guitar player it's like what you know, that's just so weird. Um, and we'll continue with the chronology, but I have to say they made it work magically. And a little trivia question or note, rather, Steve, I don't know if you know this. I don't know if I ever told you this, but uh, the one of the gentlemen who's credited on the album for helping with the arrangements was my arranger on the CD I did in 1998 or 99 called Danny Schinder and Friends Retrofits. And folks, I took five classic rock songs. I did big band swing versions of them. And a guy named Frank Machia helped me make all the horn arrangements because I used real horns. And he's on magnification. I saw that and went, whoa, you know, years later. So that was kind of neat. Oh, wow. Yeah, you, you never told me that. Oh, wow. So that's very cool. It's because it's bullshit. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's a true story. It's true. Yeah. Right. And, but they made and, it work. Um, you know, yeah, they made it, that it, album work. Yeah. It, it's to the point where like, to me, it would feel weird if he cut out some of the orchestra stuff off of those tracks. Like it would feel like it's missing. You heard something. a recording I found of that, that I didn't even want to listen to. Yeah. And, like and it was a it, fan. So yeah, it was a fan edit of the title track Magnification with the orchestra edited out. But uh, so I kind of skipped through. I didn't listen to the whole thing, but the bits I heard were like, oh, wow. Like the things I expect to hear from the orchestra, like don't come. And it's kind of like a little bit off-putting to me. Like it, yeah. like it doesn't significantly decrease the quality of the song, but it's like, yeah, it's missing just that piece right there, you know? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so yeah, go get the last little bit and and then we'll uh, kind of talk about the different players' contributions on the different albums, the styles you and I like best and all those sorts of things. Each other playing each right. other's songs. There's so much to this. Right. So for the Magnification Tour, they're going to tour with orchestras and they're like, you know what? We actually do need a keyboardist. And they have this plan to bring Rick Wakeman back into the band in 2002. But in the meantime, 
they hired Tom Brislin for the tour and he went in knowing that it was a temporary thing. Uh, so he wasn't an official member, but they still like to list him on like Yes World and stuff like that. And he's participating in like a couple reunion things, I think. Like he's a great keyboardist in his own right. And yeah, people love him. He's in um, Kansas now. I don't mean he's living in Kansas. He's in the <laughs> band, Kansas. So to be able to play with Yes, be able to play in Kansas, he was with Meatloaf. Hey, let's get the guy in Meatloaf to play in Yes. That makes perfect sense. You know, he's, yeah. a, he's a very versatile, great musician. But I personally have nothing against him, but I don't like that he's sometimes listed as a member of Yes. He, he wasn't in Yes. He did not record anything, which is why I question why Eddie Jobson's on here. You know, of all the times I've interviewed Alan White for Drum Talk TV, I never thought to ask him that. So I'm going to have to call him, send him an email or interview him about that. But um, I, I personally don't think he should be listed as an official member. Right. And I mean, in different threads, he said himself that he wasn't an official member. And it's kind of like retroactively fit people like... To say it, but it is kind of funny how lots of prog rock fans know of him when he's done like all this other stuff that's like not all prog rock, but yeah. uh, re- regardless. Um, so Rick Wakeman returns uh, to the center of the earth. Uh, no, to yes. Wait, what? 2002. <laughs> <laughs> and he really went there? Yeah, I mean, there was an album in the late 90s, but yeah. Oh, I so loved that. Yeah, so he returns to Yes in 2002, um, and they tour for about two years. That was the, the full circle tour. Yeah, like, yeah, full circle tour ends 2003, and then 2004 is the 35th anniversary tour. And after that, Yes go on hiatus for a few years. And in 2008, they want to do a 40th anniversary tour which was originally going to be called Close to the Edge and Back, but Rick wasn't feeling up for it. So uh, his son, Oliver Wakeman, comes into the picture. And um, of course, like he, of course, plans for that year change a bit, but Oliver is still in the band for a couple of years, like until the end, like toward the end of 2010, I believe. And that's when, Trevor Horn comes into the picture for Fly From Here and he really pushes to bring Jeff Downs back in the band. And so Jeff Downs has been their keyboardist uh, since then, since like 20, like early 2011 or something. Um, And I mean, you've also had ARW going on on the side from like 2016 to 2018 or 19 or something like that. But yeah, and then right. on the 50th anniversary tour on, on the road, you had special appearances by Tony Kay. Even Patrick Moraz showed up here and there. Yeah, Moraz showed up in the at Yestival, um, the Philadelphia like Yes fan convention thing. And like, yeah, it was really cool seeing Tony guest in like the shows that year in 2018. And it was just really cool. But yeah. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. So at the moment, Jeff Downs is the keyboardist of the band still. And yeah, they've had many keyboardists. Like that was like, I'm surprised we got through all of them in this amount of time, you know? Yeah. So right off the bat, who who's your favorite Yes keyboard player? Oh. As quick as you can answer. 
Don't worry about hurting feelings. I feel like the easy one to say just because I feel like he's probably contributed the most keyboard parts that stand out to me is Rick Wakeman. Um, But I, I really love the contributions that the others have made. Like it's, yeah, I don't, I don't know, but, but yeah, it might be Rick Wakeman. What about you? I'd have to say it's Rick Wakeman. And I also know that, um, you know, the word classic has different meanings. So, you know, technically Tony K is the classic, yes, keyboard player, but classic, yes, is really known as Rick with Alan and John and Stephen Chris. That's really what's always, I think, going to be known as the most identifiable yes and i think what most fans favor if you were to pick any one iteration's body of music and and it is mine but there have been some other great players of course there wouldn't be yes without tony k in so many different ways um that yes sound in the first three albums is what forged the next 50 years or whatever so it's real important to recognize what was going on in 68 through 70 plus and what the sounds were, what the equipment was. And Tony um, was and stayed pretty old fashioned when it came to that stuff. And his organ work and piano work is very indicative of not only the music of the times, but evolving music of the times. They were forging prog rock at the time along with, of course, Genesis, ELP, um, you know, some other crazy fusion stuff that came along, Mahavishnu Orchestra and whatnot. So it's really important to recognize, no matter who your favorite Yes keyboard player is, folks, it's important to recognize how much Tony was a part of its beginning and its future. Um, Starship Trooper. Uh, you know, we could just pick song after song at Perpetual Change. So many different songs that, that those are Tony's songs, whether he wrote them or not. They're his technique and his sounds, which is really cool. Um, I think my favorite unpopular votes are, um, I really love the work that Igor did on The Ladder. We talked about The Ladder in the first episode and how much I like that. And it's kind of the forgotten, uh, unappreciated album. It's, it's a great work of music. And I also um, love that, you know, if if people, if you're hearing yes for the first time and you listen to close to the edge, <laughs> you might think that's a little esoteric, but then put on relayer. You know, Patrick was just so out there and and the sounds he got and playing those things live, you know, that that one album version of the band still to me is so heavy and so strong it's like taking magic mushrooms without worrying about like where can i buy them (laughs) yeah and i mean rick wakeman uh i recall him once saying that he's glad he was not on relayer because he would not have had anything to contribute to that album but but see that's that i don't like that statement because it's such an unfair statement to himself and the music because it wouldn't have been what we know it as any more than if he was on talk, talk wouldn't be what it is and what we know. It would have a bit of Rick Wakeman, even if he never wrote any of the music, it would still have Rick Wakeman on it. Just like if it had 
uh, Bill Bruford instead of Allen, it would be totally different. And that's why, you know, uh, Rick talks out of his ass sometimes, you know, and he, <laughs> he exaggerates and he puts a spin on things that are like, oh, OK, you know, and it and that's OK. It's part of who he is. He's a funny guy. He's always pretty much good spirited and whatnot. Sometimes he's extremely complimentary. And sometimes he says, you know, yeah, Union had stuff on it that my one of my kids could have played when they were like 10 at the time, you know, or whatever. <laughs> and maybe that's true, given who his kids are. But um, you I, mean, know, I would I, love to see Oliver playing Union stuff, not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. And I'd love to hear, like, what would Relayer have been with Rick on it? It would have been totally different. Um, but going going back to favorites and everything, what song could you pick out that has your favorite Yes keyboard sound is it tony's organ on an early record going through the leslie amplifier with the you know doppler spinning or is it rick's polymog or his minimog or is it the mellotron or is it uh god knows what the f patrick was using on <laughs> sound chaser that made like the sounds and all you know right. what's do you have like a, a favorite or two uh, sounds that were projected out of one of the keys of yes. Right. So I should preface this by saying I'm not really literate when it comes to the equipment, like the different. But you could pick out a section of a song, yeah. and I, I would pretty much. Yeah, like I'm aware. I, like I'm aware that Tony is well known for the organ, and Rick has played like Moog and Mellotron, but I wouldn't know the difference between Moog and Mellotron to be honest. Um, but like the keyboard sound that stands out to me like at the moment is like some of the stuff that you hear on revealing science of god on tales of topographic oceans like it just has great keyboard stuff on it which is funny because like rick has said like on different occasions that like some of the stuff on there feels like padding or like it, he didn't like it as much as maybe the other musicians did, but it's like, that's like quintessential. Yes. To me, that album and the sounds on there. You saw a couple things. One is that those are mini Moogs and poly Moogs making a lot of those sounds, but the real story about why Rick doesn't like that album much. And he always deflects the real reason onto the music. And I do believe he's sincere when he says that um, it sounds like there's a lot of padding and that's a fair statement. It's a, there's a lot of stuff that just has no beat to it. And it's just ethereal uh, padding. <laughs> there's stuff with a beat that just loops for a long time and that's okay. It's all subjective. There's no right. There's no wrong, but the real reason I've learned, I've heard over and over and read from Rick is the reason he felt a disconnect, felt a disconnect with tales is because he's a very devout Christian. And the thematic um, stories and words speak more to evolution and, and where we come from and all of that in a whole different narrative than devout Christianity. And that that's the real reason why he really fell out of favor with it. Um, but his musical points you know, are still valid. I'll, I'm never gonna say he's lying. Um, I did say he pulls a lot of stuff out of his ass, but I don't think he's ever lying. Um, a quick 
many of you, I'm sure, know this story. Steve, you might also. But the first mini Moog he ever bought, he saw in a classified ad and for like a really cheap price. I don't remember how much, like 50 pounds or something like that. So we went to pick it up and it was from the actor Jack Wilde. And Jack Wilde was, I can't remember the boy's name, on H.R. Puffin stuff, Sid and Marty Croft, late 60s. Uh, you, you know what that is, right, Steve, H.R. Puffin stuff? Uh, yeah, I, I've heard of it, yeah. Okay, just, <laughs> just so you know, as this is being recorded, I'm 58 and Steve is 26. So he went to buy it from him and, and he told Rick, he said, yeah, it's broken. And Rick said, Yo, what do you mean it's broken? He says it only plays one note at a time. <laughs> well, it's a monophonic keyboard. It's made for soloing or sound effects. It wasn't made to play chords on and stuff. So Rick took it home, plugged it in. This is the greatest thing in the world. And it became a not only became a very integral part of the Yes sound, but also, of course, of Rick's sounds. And then he later uh, collaborated with um, Bob Moog on development of further keyboards, as did Keith Emerson. So it's kind of a, a funny story. But yeah, the, those Moog keyboards, the Poly Moog um, and the Mini Moog are very, very signature 70s yes sounds. The organ, uh, Tony's organ sound, of course, is, you know, those early years. And then Jeff had his sounds, Patrick had his, and, and even Igor had his and, and so on. But I'd have to say, that when it comes down to it for me, Rick, Rick has my favorite sounds and he's my favorite player. And he's one of my favorite musicians of any instrument as well. I just, I think he's brilliant. Um, I love his, um, well, I could go way off. Maybe we shouldn't go into their solo stuff. That'll be another uh, episode. I mean, Rick has like a, a ton of solo stuff. If we talk about all of that, we'll be here for like a yeah. year or something. So, <laughs> so I'll just say this, one of my favorite concert films ever to watch is Rick Wakeman live at Hampton Court. I just, with Six Wives of Henry VIII, that's all that's being performed. It's amazing. And um, Adam's in that. It's just amazing. Is that Adam or Oliver in that? It's Adam. Um, yeah, Oliver is not in that one. Um, oh, it's it's been a while since I've seen it. So I can't, I can't remember if Adam is in that one, but he's been in uh, like at least one other video of like yeah. a wakeman concert but yeah. and i know yeah. people are laughing at me because i can't remember which one of the brothers i haven't watched it in a few months either but i, lo I love that i love his work and he has the best fucking capes in rock and roll <laughs> period <laughs> so yeah. what what is your best example steve as a yes fan and a music fan of where a subsequent yes keyboardist took the previous work of a previous yes keyboardist from something they recorded and in your opinion improved on it or their sound just made it sound i don't know if better is the right word but more to your liking or you like just more to my preference yeah like, yeah like yeah. my preferred version um so the example that comes to mind is like I know that some of the songs on the Yes album have become have been played a lot over the years with lineups that have Wakeman in them, and like that the Yes album is very much a Tony K album, and there are tracks on there that I prefer with the organ sound, like Yours Is No Disgrace, for example. Like I love that version with the organ sounds, 
But I think Starship Trooper is one where I think Wakeman's take on it is my preference. Um, and it's funny, like, I don't think I've ever heard a live... Oh, wait, that's... Okay. I was going to say, I wasn't sure if I've heard a live version of Starship Trooper with K on it in, like, the Yes album tour, but I have heard, like, the 9012 live version. So, right. Like, you can sort of compare, but I think Wakeman's take on it is my preference for that particular song. Otherwise, like, the rest of the Yes album, I love K's sounds on, like, the rest of those songs like a yeah. bit more than yeah for me um um gosh i asked the question and now here i am really kind of thinking on it <laughs> um it might be the same actually starship troopers a really great example um here's an opposite question i think a song that has been done by a later keyboard player who really did an awesome job of honoring the original keyboard player, believe it or not. Hold on to your hats, folks. You might be surprised at who I'm going to mention. On the House of Yes DVD or CD, I think Igor does an awesome job of exactly what you're saying. Yours is no disgrace. The organ work is great in that, and he does a very good job on perpetual change as well. I think he... He keeps a lot of that old school integrity because he's not trying to copy Rick copying. He's not trying to copy Rick doing Rick's spin on Tony's original version. He's adhering more back to Tony's version. And I think he does a really good job. And, and the instrument sounds really good too. his, his organ work. Right. And in recent years, um, like whenever yes, have done like these like three album tours or whatever, where they tried to play, all the tracks from an album, like in the order that's on the album, they've tried to make it sound as close to those albums as possible. So I think Jeff has done a good job with that type of thing as well. And um, a few years before that, I remember seeing a video online of Oliver, like he was being interviewed, like with his keyboards and demonstrating like the different sounds of the different keyboards. Oh, wow. So, so like, I never saw would, that. So like he would um, play something that his dad played and he'd be like, so this is like how dad sounds. And I can't remember what song it was, but um, then, then he's like, whereas this is where you might do something by Tony K. And he does the part from Astro Traveler that I really love where it's like, I just love that sound. Yeah. That's cool. I, I'd love to see that. Send that to me if you can dig that yeah, up. Yeah, I'll see if I can find it again. Yeah, that's cool. So what is a song that a Yes keyboardist recorded on an album, but you feel they greatly improved playing live, whether it's the tour for that album or many years later? Oh, okay. I do have an example of this. It's not a huge improvement like it's a slight improvement over something that was already incredible so you know you have the song close to the edge on the album that's also called close to the edge and rick does such a great job on there but i love how when it came to the abwh tour in like 89 he adds like a bit more soloing toward the end of the i get up i get down section so 
and instead of just ending it like like it's a bit longer so he adds in a bit where it's marked like he he elongates it until it like climaxes and it's like i can understand how to some it might sound it might seem a bit self-indulgent to having i just really love it (laughs) like that might be my favorite this might be controversial, but that might be my favorite live version of, of Close to the Edge. Yeah, I've you've heard. mentioned that to me before. Mine is off the top of my head. I love the song Siberian Katru, but the and the original recording's great. I love his playing, but the way that song sounds on the 1978 Tormato in the Round Tour. I love the sounds of his instruments so much better. The organ is fatter. You can literally hear the keys of his B3 pop. There's this percussive adjustment you can make on those organs and you can hear the keys pop. And I love the sound of the clavinet in that center part. That whole section is so good. I just love, love, love it. And uh, that's that's my first example. I also love my favorite version of Close to the Edge is where I think he plays better than on the original version is the, the Keys Live version. That's my favorite version to listen to, play to, garden to, dance to, and throw a fit to. Yeah, the, the Keys version of Siberian Kachru is also my favorite live version of that track. Cause... Oh, wait, let me think. So do I like that better than the Tormato tour? I'd have to listen to them side by side. They're very, very much the same with the same keyboard sound improvements and playing, in my opinion. Right, but I think I have a lot of nostalgia for, like, back when I was... Um, how old would I have been? I would have been like seven, seven and a half. And I got this CD from Walgreens. That was, it was called Yes, Extended Versions. And it was So essentially- wait, wait a minute. So folks, picture this. You're at a Walgreens. Here's this seven-year-old kid. Were you with I mean, me? I was with my mom. You're with your yeah. mom. <laughs> so he's with his mom and probably holding her hand. I don't know. And sees a CD display thumbing through them and says, oh, Yes, extended versions. This will just do fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like I like I mean I was a kid, so like I wasn't used to finding yes CDs out in the wild, and so like that CD was essentially the the live tracks on Keys to Ascension One minus Revealing Sense of God, I guess, because of space on the disc or whatever. But yeah, like it, I just I get really nostalgic thinking back to like listening to that disc and i also have like another siberian katru anecdote um so you might not remember this but uh back in i think it was like thanks for being gentle about the disclaimer by the way i appreciate uh, it i I think it was like 2009 or 2010 or something or maybe 2008 i don't know but like when i was a teenager or preteen or something i got the word is live box set and one of the tr- tracks on there is Siberian Katru from like, when Patrick Moraz was in the band. 
And I remember you and I were like in the drive-thru of some fast food restaurant, I think. And we're listening to Siberian Kachru. And when it got to the part where Rick would normally be like, do, 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 do. The clavinet part. Yeah. Yeah. Instead it was uh, Patrick's take on it. And I can't remember off the top of my head what it sounded like, but it was different. I remember you not being a huge fan of that. (laughs) Whereas I was sitting here thinking, I mean, I like that Patrick does something a little different with it. It's not just the same shit, you know? Yeah, I can appreciate that. But there, there's some sounds or passages of songs that you just don't change. True. And to me, that clav I don't remember if it's more of a clavinet or harpsichord sound, probably harpsichord, actually. Um, you just, you don't change that. It's the <laughs> only yes song that has that freaking sound. And it's a very interesting you know, part of the musical bridge. It's just like to mess with that part is like, what? Um, I'd have to listen to that again because I don't remember at all what it sounds like. Yeah, it was something that sounded very Moraz. Like it, but yeah, I get what you mean. It'd be kind of like, um, well, I guess bring it full circle, like, like cutting out one of those keyboard passages of revealing that I really love and replacing it with something that's like very different. Yeah. Yeah. So is there, not to put you on the spot, but is there foraging for yes in the wild? That's funny. (laughs) Is there a song that you've either seen on tour or have heard on a live recording where the original, it's the original keyboard player who recorded it, uh, either that album's tour or many years before, where they just ruined it? where they just didn't they just didn't use the right sounds or they just didn't play it the way it goes and it wasn't an improvement or it just was kind of like mailed it in or you have anything like that I mean I can't really think of any examples like so for context the only yes concerts I've been to were in 2009 when they had Asia as the opening act that was really cool and then in 2016, when they did all of drama and some of tales, and then 20, 2017, I saw ARW, um, and then 2018, the 50th anniversary tour with the S, and then uh, 2019, uh, I think this was like the last live concert I went to before like everything of the Royal Affair tour, and that was like. So such a huge concert with like all the different acts that they had there. So yeah, in all those concerts, I can't really think of a moment where I felt like the keyboardist didn't really nail it. Like I, like, I don't know. Like I just remember enjoying at, at least most of it. I can't really think of a specific yeah, moment. I feel the same way. I can't really pinpoint any And you've been to a lot more than I have. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I have. And you've heard, you haven't been to as many, but you've heard dozens of bootlegs, dozens and dozens of bootlegs, you know. Um, But yeah, my first, for context, my first Yes concert was 1978. And then I saw the back end of the Tormato Tour in 79. Then I saw uh, the Drama Tour. And then, um, gosh, it's blurry after that, but I saw... I saw Union Talk, Open Your Eyes, The Ladder. I know I'm missing something after um, 
um, the drama tour. What was the next? Well, Nine one two five and oh yeah, duh. yeah. I saw both of the. <laughs> thank you. That that little stint with that other Trevor guy. Yeah, I saw both of those <laughs> tours. Um, I saw almost every tour since nineteen seventy eight, except for Masterworks and the Royal Affair and the Drama and Tales tour, whatever it was you mentioned. I think those are the only ones I've missed since nineteen seventy eight, actually. Oh, uh, yeah. So then, yeah, because I wasn't sure how many of like the 2010s era tours you'd been to. Yeah. But, yeah. I saw Magnification. That was great. Yeah. It was great. Um, interesting. So do you have any other questions for me or the fans regarding Keys to Yes, the different keyboard players who have recorded with Yes, written with Yes, also being the same who have toured with yes. Um, I mean, I guess like, do you have like any favorite moments where you had sort of a duel between the keyboardist and some other instrument? Yeah. Oh yeah. Really cool to see in concert. Oh yeah. Right off the top of my head. Thanks. Mm -hmm. That's a good one. Um, on songs from Tsongas that synthesizer and guitar battle in South Side of the Sky is freaking great. I just love that. Steve Howe and Rick Wapen going at it. Um, and, and Chris slowly moving over to Steve and just sort of le leaning over to him and, and Steve just kind of looking at him. You know, I don't know if you remember that. We were just trying to make him laugh or something. It was funny. But that, that's my the first thing I think of. That duel is great. And I love having to have been able to see that song be performed live because I didn't see the fragile tour and to hear it. And with the modern technology instrument sound system, you know, all that stuff was really, really cool. So yeah, that, that's mine. Yeah. Cause they played an abridged version of that song on the fragile tour a, a couple or a few times and on relay tour as well, a couple of a few times. So on the relay tour, yeah, I believe so. Like, there's a bootleg wow. somewhere, but I have a bootleg from that year, and I don't. It's called Stellar Exhibitions, and I haven't heard it in a long time. I don't, I don't remember it being on there. Yeah, but like you said, doesn't maybe mean they yeah, it like night. one or two or three shows or something. But yeah, like, like it was a thing that was like really obscure to hear in the live setting. I think they even considered digging it up for like the San Luis Obispo shows in '96, but it wasn't until 2002 that they finally took a stab at it and it's like actually improved upon it over the studio version and it's like now they've played it on other tours since then to the point where it's not so obscure anymore which is bizarre to think about yeah and and when you asked that question i immediately went to live i wasn't thinking about uh on an album uh, on an album, I think there is another one between Rick and Steve, and it's during, um, I'm, I'm trying to remember the name of the song, because all I hear is this little solo part in my head, but from one of the Keys albums. I, I can't think of it, but what, do you have an answer for oh, that? Is it on Mind Drive? Yes, yes, on Mind Drive, yes. 
Yeah. And when I asked the question, I was thinking of live and I also okay. like South side of the sky was the first thing I went to. Oh, okay. Like yeah. father, like son. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. But um, there are also some really memorable keyboard moments. Like I, I think on the Tormato tour, Rick played like a guitar on yeah. Starship Trooper, right? That yeah. was kind of weird. Yeah. That was the first time he ever pulled one out. As far as I know, he plays it in that Hampton court towards the end. And so does Adam. It's Adam in that. And he um, plays one as well together. They kind of walk up to the front of the stage and battle back and forth. And then they play in unison. It's really cool. Um, but yeah, that was neat in 1978 to see an instrument like that was like the Jetsons. It was futuristic, <laughs> man. It was bizarre. Um, that's also back in the days when people were still hauling around grand pianos or at least renting them out, you know, at the wherever the show was. And in this case, lifting it up onto a in the round stage, you know, you don't see that a lot anymore. Grand pianos on tour or at a show. Right. And here, here's a bit of yes, keyboardist trivia. So prior to um, 2008, so like 2007, Tony K was the only uh, official yes, keyboardist who had played up parts from every official yes keyboardist up to that point because at oh. the time he was he was in circa and they did that medway like that yes medway so he played parts from like all the keyboardists up to uh like koroshev and so yeah that was like a record that he broke it but now like because he got oliver afterward it's it's like now he hasn't played like stuff from all of them but it's like at that time it was like yeah, you could say that about Tony K, which is pretty funny seeing as how he was like the founding yeah. uh, keyboardist. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's cool. Very cool. Well, I think that might wrap this episode up. Yeah, I think so too. Cool. Folks, go ahead and answer the questions. Go ahead and email us, comment if you see it on social, if that's where you're listening to it. Our email is yesshiftpodcast at gmail. Com. <laughs> cool. Till the next one. We have a nice long list of fun ideas to talk about, and we are absolutely open to your suggestions as well. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, thanks for listening.